Hello, this is Ahuka. Welcome to Hacker Public Radio for another installment in our series on security and privacy. And what we want to do is talk about creating a key pair with a, a kind of a GUI um, application. Last time we looked at doing it from the command line, and for a lot of people that's fine, but uh, there are people out there that prefer to do it with a GUI, and there are a number of options. Uh, you've got on the Linux side, you certainly have uh, a number of different desktop environments. So there's GNOME clients, KDE clients, there's Windows clients, there's Macintosh clients. Uh, so you've got a number of options depending on what platform you're on. Uh, I'm only going to pick one of them because I think trying to, you know, it would just be repeating the same stuff over and over. Uh, so. You know, I use Kubuntu, uh, and that's a KDE distribution. Uh, so I'm going to use the KDE one, uh, which is called KGPG. Um, so first thing uh, is to go to your uh, package manager, check the repositories, and uh, download the KGPG client and install it. So you do that, and then you open it up, and yeah, there's really nothing there because you haven't done anything yet. So the first thing you want to do is create a key pair. Now to do this, you go to the Keys menu and select Generate Key Pair. And that's going to pop up a window, and you're going to have uh, really the same kinds of information. You see, you start filling in the blanks. The first thing is your name then your email address, and your comment. Now, those three things are used to generate your key ID. So, your name and your email probably don't change a whole lot, but, uh, you know, if you wanted to have different keys for whatever reason, uh, using different comments would do that. So, you could have one for business and one for personal use. Uh, of course, you could probably get the same effect if you had, you know, a business email and a personal email. But, uh, you know, those three things get the ID. Then you want to set the expiration. Now, we talked about this last time. If you're brand new to this, uh, there is an argument to be made that you might want to set it to expire in, say, a year in case it ends up being a mistake of some kind. Uh, you know, that way you don't want to have a live key floating around that you don't know. And, and what would happen if if that live key was out there. And, uh, you know, if you had lost your passphrase, you would be unable to decrypt anything sent to you. So if you have a key that is out there that is still considered to be live, anyone can use your public key and encrypt a message to send to you or encrypt a file for you to decrypt and open, any of that. And you would get it and you'd be unable to do anything because you've lost your passphrase. Uh, so the idea of putting in an expiration is that uh, it would protect you in that case. Now, if, if you get so that you really understand how this works and you're very confident that your passphrase has not, uh, is not anything you're ever going to forget or lose track of, uh, you can go back 
later there is a procedure. We'll, we'll talk about that at some point that you can go in and change the, the expiration. As long as you get there before it expires, you can go there and, and change the expiration. Um, so it, in the example that, that I've done, and, and I have all of this on my website with screenshots, which when you're talking about a GUI environment, that, that would help, wouldn't it? Uh, so the, the example I set mine was one year. Then select the key size. Now, under no circumstances should you choose 768 bits if you want security. That's simply too short for today's computers. <coughs> now, there are many people who will be fashionably cynical and claim that you can't really be secure because the NSA has billions of dollars and big supercomputers and a huge data center in Utah. Well, they're wrong. But you do need to understand how you can stay secure, and key length is one of the two parameters you need to be secure. 768 bits is just easy to break. 1024 is possible with the right equipment. Now, right now, the National Institutes for Standard and Technology here in the United States says that 2048 bits is secure, and they estimate it will stay secure until the year 2030, based on the rate at which they expect computing power to grow. Now, if you distrust them, there's some reason why you might want to. It does, uh, we've talked before, they seem to have put out a very bad standard for elliptical curve encryption, and uh, it looks as if they were led to doing that by the NSA, uh, thereby hurting their own uh, credibility then go to 4096. Now, doubling the, the number of, of bits does not double the security. Oh, no. You are dealing with exponential mathematics. It's not just twice as secure. It is 3 times 10 to the 616th power times more secure. That's a 3 with... 616 zeros after it. Uh, I don't even want to think about what zillion that amounts to. I don't, I don't even know that we have terms for numbers that large. Um, so the way to understand it, a brute force attack on something like that would require every computer in existence working for billions of years. <laughs> okay? Uh, <clears throat> now, for what I've done in my example, I've, I've gone with 2048. Uh, 4096 bits does have a couple of drawbacks, potentially. First, it can take longer to encrypt and decrypt data with a longer key. Second, I have seen reports that some smart cards cannot handle 4096-bit keys. So, know your options, choose what works for you. Then, you need to choose the encryption algorithm. You have several choices. Basically, when you see two items on the same line, that means one key for signing and another for encryption uses. We want to do both. So, that means either the DSA and EI Gamal 
or RSA and RSA. Now, the difference here is essentially which one-way mathematical function they use, but if you're not an expert, I would say it doesn't particularly matter. Uh, I chose RSA and RSA for my key pair. Now, at this point, all you need to do is click the OK button. Um, now, if if you click the Expert Mode button, what will happen? It'll close the GUI and throw you into a terminal. In which case, you're back to doing what we talked about in the last installment. Right? As a general rule, if you're not used to uh, being in the Linux world, in particular this is the case, uh, I think it's also true at least for Windows and probably for Mac as well, GUIs are nice, but they don't have the range of options that the command line does. So the command line gives you more tools, lets you do more things. So that's why expert mode throws you back to the command line. Uh, if you're using a GUI tool, I'm assuming that that's what you wanted to do. So uh, don't click expert mode, just click OK. Now, at this point, it's going to ask you for a passphrase. So you want to give a good one. Uh, I would recommend using something like LastPass, uh, which does generate secure passphrases. Um, and, you know, those are the ones that look like a bunch of gobbledygook, you know, lowercase r, capital case s, uh, lowercase n, the numerals 40, lowercase th, capital F, numeral 870, uh, lowercase w. Uh, you get the picture here. Uh, so that's that's secure. So if you do that, that will then bring you a, to a screen that says at the top, new key pair created. So you see the results. Uh, and then you, it says, you know, here is your name, here is your email, and then there's a key ID. Uh, this is eight characters. And this is what identifies your, your key. It's just a label. There's nothing particularly secure about it. Uh, but it uh, identifies it on key servers. So if you ever wanted to um, work with someone out, like uh, my friend Tony Bemis at Sunday Morning Linux Review, we have exchanged our keys, and, and we did that by me writing to him and saying, here's my key ID, and then he would say, yep, yep, I found it on the key server, and then I'd say, and, and tell me yours, and he gave me his eight-character number, and then I added that to my key ring. And now I, I can send him encrypted email anytime I want. Isn't life wonderful? Um, so that's, uh, you know, that's your key ID. So in my sample, my example case here was E122BA67. And I have, I, I clicked a box that says set it as your default key. Now, that's not, I mean, this was an example I did. It's not my actual key. I, every time I do one of these shows, I've, I've got to go through this process of creating something so I can show you all the steps. Uh, so, there's also a checkbox at the bottom for revocation certificate. And we talked about that before. Uh, if for any reason your key is compromised, you would want to be able to tell people, don't use this anymore. You know, the, the passphrase got out, um, 
someone else could be using this. I don't trust it anymore. And that's what a revocation certificate does. Uh, it, it doesn't eliminate the key. Your key is still going to be out there on key servers, but the key server is then going to add a little indication of some kind. I, I don't I don't know technically how they do this, but there's something in there that's going to say, don't use this anymore. It has been revoked. Um, so you want to set that you can create a revocation certificate, and there's also a, a checkbox there to print it. Uh, you know, if for some reason you lost uh, your passphrase, you lost uh, control of this, what have you, uh, and you didn't even know what it was anymore, if you had to print it out, you could theoretically type in everything in the revocation certificate. It'd be an enormous pain in the butt, but you could do it. You could print this out, put it in a safe deposit box, and store it at your bank or something like that. Um, so, you know, you create that. Now, otherwise, what you're doing is you're creating a text file that sits on your drive, and uh, when you click Save As, there's a space there that's supposed to say, where are you going to save it? So mine says slash home slash Kevin slash dot G-N-U-P-G slash Swilnick dot revoke. So that happens to be uh, my certificate and where that's stored. That's a a typical Linux uh, kind of file structure going on there. Um, Now, if you're creating a revocation certificate, the first thing it's going to do is ask you for your passphrase. So I hope you were careful about writing it down when you did all of that. So now at this point, we've looked at two different ways of actually creating your your GPG key. Uh, and remember, GPG is just the open source implementation of PGP. They're really identical uh, for all useful purposes. Uh, so what we need to get to next, which we will do in, uh, in probably the next program, is talk about, well, how do I use it? So this is Ahuka, and as always, telling you, please don't forget to support free software. Goodbye. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All BinRev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.